All right. Uh, what have we talked about this semester? Any, any, you know, this sermon series? Anybody? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus right? We spent this semester looking through the I am statements in the Gospel of John, answering this big question, who is Jesus? So I'm going to skim through them real quick. Jesus is the bread of life. He is our satisfier and sustainer. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the dispeller of sin's darkness. Jesus is the gate. He is our entrance into lasting security and belonging. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is our protector and guide in life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our hope in death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our source of certainty in eternal life. And Jesus is the true vine. He is our source of strength, fruit, and joy. And it's actually sweet. When you get to the end of John's gospel, he tells us really why he included all of these I am statements in the gospel of John. So John 20 Verse 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Really, summing up the I am statements, like Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the perfect Son of God, who has come to redeem a broken people and bring them back to the Father. That is who Jesus is. And then we're left with this question, okay, now that we know who Jesus is, who are we? That's what we want to talk about tonight. Like, who are we in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? What kind of language does Jesus use to describe those who have trusted in him? And so we're actually going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to flip there. We're going to be in Matthew 5. And even if you haven't been around church that much, you've probably heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like most of you, Sermon on the Mount. This is one of Jesus' like lengthiest and most notable teachings. Like most people that don't know much about Jesus have heard about the Sermon on the Mount. So he has started to draw a following. He's called his first disciples, and he goes up on a mountain. Beginning of Matthew 5, it actually says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so he then turns his attention to start teaching his disciples, this is how you live a blessed life. Like, I'm going to speak to you as one with authority, as the Son of God, to tell you this is what it looks like to live a life of flourishing, because this is what God has designed. And when we get to verse 13, pretty early on, we get these words from Jesus, who actually makes pretty clear to us this is who we are. Verse 13, he says, you are the, what, salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the, what, light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So how many of you guys knew that our name came from this passage? Okay. 
Well, now you do. And so if you have ever talked about SALT Company, like capital, like caps lock, S-A-L-T, just cut it, right? It's not an acronym, but if you want to come up with an acronym, you got to at least run it by us so we know what you're talking about, right? SALT Company, it's based on Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. And here's what's cool. Jesus doesn't say, if you do this, you know, if you blank, you will become the salt. No, he's saying to his disciples, his followers, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. This is a true identity statement, but he also gives a warning, right? He's like, hey, but if you're not careful, don't be salt that loses its saltiness. Don't be the light that's hidden under a basket. And you might be asking yourself, okay, Jordan, speak in like normal terms here. Let's stop using analogies. Here's what Jesus is, is trying to say to you. This is kind of what we're working off of tonight. We were made to glorify God by living differently and making a difference in the world. There's actually two different things that Jesus is talking about when he says you are salt and you are light. He's trying to create a contrast, like you're different, and he's trying to say you're meant to make a difference. Like salt does something and light does something. And so just let me ask you a quick question. Can the people around you in a given week tell that you're a Christian? And if so, how? How can the people around you tell that you're a Christian? If I were to go back and ask my 20-year-old self this question, Jordan, can the people around you tell that you're a Christian? I would say, yes. And the follow-up question, how? Well, I have Christian tattoos. Honestly, I was like, I have Christian tattoos and sometimes I, I go to church. It's like, okay, someone in this room had reindeer antlers on earlier. He was, yeah, bro, you're not a, you're not a reindeer, right? Just because you got reindeer antlers on doesn't mean you're a reindeer, right? And just because you stand in a garage doesn't mean you're a car, right? And so, really, 20-year-old Jordan, just because you have Christian tattoos, does that mean you're a Christian? No. And the reality was, I wasn't a Christian. I called myself a Christian. I had Christian tattoos on my body, and I did not follow Jesus. And so, as we look at this text, there's actually two different things that I want us to be confronted by, and we're just going to take them one at a time. So the first is, we're called to live differently. We're actually called to live different than the rest of the world. Already brought this up, but salt is meant to stand out from what it's being put on. Salt is different from the substance it's being placed on, and light is obviously different from darkness. It's the exact opposite of darkness. And if you start to think a little bit more about salt and light and how they work, here's what's actually really cool. Salt is often hidden. It's actually everywhere. Like, the reality that salt has filled the oceans, right? There's over 70% of the earth is filled with salt, but also salt is used in countless products we use on a regular basis. Leather, poetry, or poetry, pottery, soap, detergents, rubber, clothes, paper, cleaning products, glass, plastics, and pharmaceuticals. Salt is included in all of those things. Chances are you have come into contact with salt within the last two hours and you didn't even know it. 
But when you start to think about light, light is not hidden. It is very obvious when light is in the room. Like you've been in a dark room and you've had to pull this thing out, or maybe you've done the shameful thing of like leaving this on, right? And it's in your pocket and people are like, hey man, like your flashlight's on. Light is very obvious. And so when we start to think about salt and light in our lives, now the question is, are we different in our hidden character and in our outward conduct? It's actually two different questions to be asking, and sometimes it's easier to start with outward conduct. Like, if you've been to church, you've probably heard a pastor stand on stage before and talk to you about this. Like, do you talk like the rest of the world? Right? Are you a gossiper? Are you a slanderer? Do you use filthy language? Because Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up. So do you talk differently than the world? Maybe you've heard a pastor stand up and say, you know, do you drink? Do you party like the rest of the world? Because Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you've heard somebody say, hey, are you dating like the world? Are you engaging in sexual activity like the rest of the world? Because God's word tells us the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We are to flee from sexual immorality. And I just want to say, I'm doubling down on that. I'm not saying that those things are false. Those things are absolutely true. We are called to stand out from the rest of the world. But let me also ask, are we marked by anger and resentment like the rest of the world? Or are we marked by kindness and compassion? Are we stingy and selfish when it comes to our time and our resources? Are, are we generous? Are we actually looking to take care of other people? And the more I've studied this text, I've actually been confronted by one that is not comfortable to talk about, but do we complain like the rest of the world? Like when things don't go our way, are we the grumblers like the rest of the world? I have a passage for you here, Philippians 2, uh, verses 14 and, and 15. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as what? Lights in the world. It's like, hey, your grumbling and complaining is actually diminishing your light in the world. And then you get back to our text in, in Matthew 5. You actually go up a couple verses, and here's what Jesus says. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What does he tell you to do? Grumble and complain? No. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Christian, when things do not go your way, when people mock you, when people revile you, when people persecute you, when people speak falsely against you because of you taking a stand for Jesus, here's what you're called to do. Rejoice and be glad. Not complain, not grumble, not hang your head. These are all like outward-facing, outward conduct that we are actually meant to be light in a dark world. But let's start talking also about inward character. 
Because I think for a lot of us in this room, it's like we've got the like outside thing figured out. Like we're not afraid to be like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't, you know, don't swear, don't sleep around, whatever. Like you think you're good. Let me just ask you a few more questions. Are you worried like the rest of the world? Or do you have peace? Are you self-absorbed like the rest of the world? Are you constantly fixing your eyes on yourself or are you humble? Are you secure? Are we people that are marked by envy and discontentment, especially around the holiday season? You're scrolling online and you're looking at all the things you want. Or are we marked by being thankful and satisfied? Are we caught up in doing? Like, are we constantly thinking that we matter because of what we do, like the rest of the world? Or are we actually content in understanding that our purpose, our value, our worth is not based upon our doing, but our being? That we can actually be secure in who Jesus says we are. These are all inward characteristics that might not reveal themselves out on the surface, but actually show up inside your head and in your heart. And likely when you're laying down your head on your pillow at night, you're thinking, and the question is, is your thinking different than the rest of the world? And I just want to say, the gospel of Jesus has been confused so frequently amongst churchgoers and people that know churchgoers to think, oh, the Bible is a list of rules that says do this and don't do that. Anybody heard that? Like, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I just want to squash that, okay? God's word is good, and God's word has commands for us, but here is the good news of the gospel. It is not, you can't do this, you must do that. It is, no, I no longer need to do this because I have something better. That is the good news of the gospel. And I want to just introduce you guys. It's called the four G's of the gospel. I don't know if you've heard of this before. I'm just going to read them off to you. If you're a note taker, I don't expect you to keep up. Something you can come back to, okay? Here's what's true. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear other people. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And God is gracious, so we do not have to prove ourselves. That is the good news of the gospel. And when you start to apply those truths to your life, you actually understand it's meant to change our conduct and our character. Right? God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. Therefore, we don't have to be like the world because we have the real thing. We have the good news of Jesus. But here's, what's ha here's what happens. If we are no different than the rest of the world, we are useless. Like, for, for Jesus to use words like, you are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet Right, you're like a light with a basket put, in, put over it. It's like, hey, you were meant to have incredible purpose, and here's what you've done. And trying to fit in like the rest of the world or acting and behaving just like them, here's what you've done. You have silenced your witness. Your, your purposefulness has then just disappeared 
because you have started to act like the rest of the world. You are not different. You have nothing to offer. But the good news is, that's not who we're meant to be. <laughs> like the exact opposite of being good for nothing, thrown out and trampled under people's feet, is to have eternal purpose. And that's what God is actually telling us. You are called to make a difference. You are called to make a difference. Not just to be different, but to make a difference. And as you think about salt, salt actually has multiple uses. Now, the one that's most common to us is what? Flavoring, right? Like, you put it on food, and you make bland stuff taste better, right? Or, I don't know, someone here is probably in culinary, and you're like, no, it doesn't just do that. It enhances other flavors. That is also true. So one way that salt is used is for flavoring. But if you actually understand more of the, the ancient context and how salt was used, it brings out some more truths. All right, salt was used for preserving. Salt was actually the ancient equivalent to refrigeration. Like if you had meat that you were afraid was like rotting or decaying, you would rub salt into it to prevent it from decaying and, and dying. This one's less comfortable. But the most common purpose of salt in the Bible was for destroying. It was a sign of judgment. Now, we've been teaching through Genesis here. Um, we taught through this, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. And there's a story of a guy named Lot who God spared. Lot and his wife are leaving the city. And Lot's wife turns around, kind of like reminiscing on what used to be. And what does God do? He turns her into what? Salt. A pillar of salt. And salt, you continue to see in the Old Testament, be becomes a sign of judgment against evil. Salt is used for a sign of judgment. And lastly, salt was used as fertilizer. I had no idea that that was true. But in small amounts, salt would be sown on the, on the earth, and here's what it would do. It would fertilize the soil. It would help the earth retain water, leading to the soil being enriched, weeds being killed, and growth being stimulated. Pretty wild. So let's start to apply that, okay? Christian, you are called to be salt. You are called to bring eternal flavor into the ordinary things of life. You are meant to enhance the world by drawing out the blessings of whatever is good and helping people recognize that there was a God that gave them. You are called to preserve life by sharing the gospel and preventing moral decay and ultimate death in the lives of those around you. You are called to judge, and bear with me here, you are called to do justice, right? That is a command in scripture, to do justice, to hate evil, to do away with wickedness, and to speak and act upon injustice. Like, we are called to be advocates for those who are oppressed. We are called to take a stand and care about justice. And lastly, we are called to spread around the earth, to stimulate spiritual growth, and to make barren land fruitful. It's just true. And as I think about our city and the majority of our campuses, there's a lot of barren land that needs salt to be spread out so that more and more people can encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just true. And light, what's the purpose of light? To, to push back darkness, to do away with darkness. 
And it's actually really sweet. As you begin to understand your Bible a little bit more, you see that light was frequently used to like symbolize God's presence. So one Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you, and I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. It's pointing forward to the Messiah, which we know is Jesus. And then Israel in Isaiah 49 is called a light for the nations, that salvation may reach to the end of the earth, and you get to Jesus in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I just want you to look real quick, if you have your Bible, flip to John 1. John 1, in verse 4, this is talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You understand that, right? That darkness doesn't overcome light. Like, light does not become less light because it enters into a room of darkness. When darkness comes into a room, it makes light all the more evident. So as you start to think about the life of Jesus and the religious elites, what did they want to do? They wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to shut his light off, stop influencing people. And what did they do? They put him on a cross. And it was meant to be this like mocking and this torture of Jesus. Like, hey, we're going to take him out. We're going to shut him up. But what we actually know to be true is that when Jesus went to the cross, he fulfilled the plan of God. Because we needed a perfect sacrifice to die in our place. And so Jesus lived that life, and then in what was an attempt to silence his light and shut him up, actually made the light all the more radiant, didn't it? Darkness could not overcome Jesus because he not only died, but he overcame death. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he resurrects and proves that the darkness cannot overcome the light. And your sin cannot overcome the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light, and he is life, and darkness has not overcome him, and your darkness cannot overcome him. This is who Jesus is. And now, one of the sweet, sweet privileges is Jesus not only says, I am the light of the world, but now he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 4, this is amazing. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Like this precious treasure placed on the most fragile piece to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That God would choose screwed up, broken, fragile, messy people like you and like me to say, no, now you are the light of the world. And you know why he does that, right? 
why he chooses the weak and the lowly and the despised and the shameful, the people that were outcasts, the people that had no chance, is so that we wouldn't say we're the treasure and that he's the jar of clay. No, he's the treasure, we're the jar of clay. And now when people look at us, you get back to our text in Matthew 5, it says that we may let our light shine before others so that they see our good works and give glory to who? Our Father who is in heaven. That's amazing. You see, being the light of the world is not just doing good things. It's not just doing good things so that people think highly of you. And in fact, if you only do good things and you don't do it with the heart posture that says, I want to glorify God, and if you only do good things and you never tell people that you follow God and that you love Jesus, you're also robbing yourself of influence because all they then see is that, oh, you are a good person. And what you need to make known is, no, I am not actually a good person. I follow a great God who has changed me and made me new. Now, as I think about this text, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and I know so many people in this room, I don't know all of you, I think one of my greatest concerns is actually not on the first half of this sermon, talking about living differently than the rest of the world. I think for so many of you, you are fighting against sin and you are trying to live in a way that is honoring to God. But I think here is one of our greatest dangers, that we are living differently, but we are not making a difference. And here's why. We're all huddled together, right? Like, just a room full of light, all light, no darkness. Just a giant block of salt sitting around, right? And that is, like, terrifying to think about. And it's, it's not just me speaking to you. I see this in myself. Honestly, this was super convicting as I sat in this text to say, all of my closest friends are Christian. That is a good thing. But then the question is, when was the last time you hung out with a non-Christian? Who is a friend that you regularly hang out with that does not know Jesus? And how are you being intentional and living missional? How many non-Christians or people that don't know or yet trust in Jesus are in your connection group? Okay, that has to change. If we want to make a difference, there's something about light going into darkness. And there's something about salt going on to ordinary, the bland things of life, we're meant to not just be different, but to make a difference. And I just want to put big idea up on the screen again. We were made to glorify God by living differently and making a difference in the world. And when you think about that, I think it's both a challenge and a gift like, if you're willing to be real with yourself, as I've been real sitting under this text, it's like, this is hard, right? To say, live differently and make a difference. That's confronting. That, like, brings conviction to me to say, man, I don't think I've been doing great. But it's also one of the greatest invites ever, isn't it? To say, no, you can live differently. You don't have to settle for the things of this earth because God has given you heaven, you don't have to settle for all the earthly realities because you have the real thing in Jesus Christ. And also, 
you can make a difference. You can make a difference. And I'm not just talking about like helping people through a hard season in their life, though that's a good thing too. No, I'm saying you can impact people's eternities. You can change people's entire life by simply sharing the gospel, helping them better understand Jesus, that one day people will be in heaven because you became their friend. That is a huge invite. So it's not just meant to challenge us, it's meant to be a sweet invite to the people of God to say, God wants to use you to change eternity. That's freaking awesome. And so I just want to say, if you don't know Jesus, first off, I just want to say, I am glad you are in this room. I am so glad you are here, and hopefully, as a result of this message, you understand I am not here to condemn you. I am not here to speak down to you. I am here just to simply say, if you are not living for Jesus, you are settling for much smaller things. Jesus has come to give you the real thing because he has given you God himself. So you don't have to settle for the ways of this world, and I think your appropriate response tonight is, say, I want to be salt and light. I want what Jesus has to offer me because I'm done with settling for smaller things. But for Christians in the room, I mean, two challenges. Number one, are you living differently? Are you living differently? Is your conduct and character different than the rest of this world? And if not, why not? Like, what is one thing that you need to take away tonight and say, man, I've been living a lot like the rest of the world in this area, and the gospel of Jesus needs to change that. But maybe for some of you, it's more of, you need to make a difference. I, I'm so glad you have Christian friends. They should be your homies. They should be your squad. But maybe you actually need to say, I need to grow in interacting with people that don't know Jesus. I need to have more friends that are not just a part of my church community. And let me just give you a couple really practical pieces of advice, okay? This is not profound. First, find a hobby that does not compromise your convictions. Like, go play basketball with people, right? Join a book club, join, I don't know, join another club on your campus and get to know other people. Knit sweaters. I don't know what you want to do. Like, find a hobby. I'm not saying, like, go get drunk with them. I'm saying find a hobby that does not compromise your convictions and start doing that with people. It's really not that hard. Start watching sports together. I don't know. Find a show that you can watch and start inviting people over. And the second thing is this. Let's stop saying, I hang out with my Christian friends on Monday night and my non-Christian friends on Friday night. There's actually something powerful about saying, I want to merge my communities together. I want to not separate, on this night I hang out with my non-Christian friends, and on this night I hang out with my Christian friends. No, start inviting your non-Christian friends to hang out with your Christian friends. There's actually way more power in hanging out together than trying to go one-on-five against your non-Christian friends. So hobby with non-believers, and merge or mix your communities. And honestly, if we would just start to say, man, Jesus has already said, I am salt and I am light, and I'm going to take that seriously. I just, 
I don't know, I was thinking about what would it, what would it look like for a salt company to actually be salt and light? And first, I just, I mean, I can't help, but just I have this like burnt in memory of myself as a 20-year-old, just like enslaved to sin, just feeling like I had to fit in with the world when God made me to stand out. And I'm like, first off, God meant, has meant to set you free from the shackles of your sin. He's meant to like break you out of having to feel like you have to measure up or fit in with the rest of this world. But also the one thing I really wanted was to make a difference. Like I wanted people to like be impacted, but I didn't have eternity in mind. And I've been like swept up into the great commission of Jesus to say, Jordan, man, it's sweet that you can make an earthly difference in people's lives, but what if you can make an eternal difference in their life? Would you want to be a part of that? I'm like, yes. I can't help but just like, preach to my 20-year-old self tonight and say, wake up. Stop settling. And as I just think about, you know, Christmas break or even, even the next semester of school, here's just a few thoughts. That we would be a group of 18 to 23-year-olds who spend our Christmas break actually trying to glorify God and not just watching Netflix and taking naps. Honestly. Not saying you can't watch the little Netflix. Hey, hobby with unbelievers, am I right? But that our purpose for break would say, man, I want to see how I can glorify God this break. That we would be college students that are more concerned about Christ being glorified than we are about our comfort being maintained. You're not just trying to stay comfortable. You're trying to make Jesus known. We are people that care more about grace than grades. People that actually want the gospel to go forward. We are people that care more about eternities than we do college degrees. Like if you graduate and you have a college degree but you led nobody to Jesus, would that disappoint you? People that care more about souls than we do about salaries. I know there's some of you working in this room that you would go to work not just to earn a paycheck but actually make a dent in eternity. And if we would do this, I honestly believe we would see our campus and our city transformed. We would see friends and family members changed, not just now, but forever. Because here's the reality. Jesus has already said, you are salt. You are light. And this is exactly what salt does. It preserves life and it pushes back darkness. It's already been given to you. Now the question is, Are we going to stay salty, and are we going to let our light shine, or are we just going to lose our saltiness, and are we going to put our light under a basket? That's the question. That's what we have to wrestle with when we leave this place. So what I want to do, I want to just pray. Like, we need God to show up, right? He is the light of the world. He is the one that makes us effective. And so for us to just plead with God to say, God, apart from you, we can do nothing, So would we just come in a humble posture and say, Jesus, we need you to show up. Pray with me. God, um, I just thank you for each heart in this room. God, thank you for this ministry. Thank you for this church. Jesus, this is your church. These are your people. Um, And I thank you for the promise, really, in Matthew 5, that we are salt. 
We are light. And it's not because we've earned our saltiness or not because we have been so great, but Jesus, you are the light of the world. You have come to give life to people who once were dead and dark. But you didn't just give us life. You now have passed on the blessing of God and have said, now you are the light of the world. You have placed treasure in jars of clay. You have chosen, jacked up, sinful, messy, broken people to bring glory to yourself. And God, that's what we want. When, when we leave this place, we don't want to walk out and have people say, wow, look how great Salt Company is. Look how great those people are. No, we want them to say, look how great their God is. And so Jesus, would you change us? And the ways that we've been trying to fit in with the world, would you change our hearts to recognize that you have given us what is true and better? And God, where we've gotten comfortable and complacent, just hanging out with our Christian friends, would you give us a heart that remembers that we once were lost? That somebody came to be light to us, and if not for that, we would still be walking in darkness? Somebody left the comfort of their Christian friend group to engage with us, would you help us just humbly respond and say, God, I'm willing to give up my comfort that you can be magnified? And in all of this, Jesus, we, we recognize we don't do any of the changing. <laughs> You've called us to be ambassadors, to speak on behalf of the king, but at the end of the day, you promise us that you are the one that brings the growth. You are the one that changes hearts. You are the one that causes the dead to come to life. You are the one that pushes back the darkness. And so we trust you, Jesus. And we are grateful for the invite to be a part of what you're doing in our city on our campuses, in our families, and with our friends. And we ask that you would change their eternities through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.